Last week, we talked about how God, by the Spirit, creates a portal, a kind of a portal, through the the humble gospel sharing that Paul did, that we do, without great logic, without great eloquence, without great theatricality, we, we try to encourage people to see the glories of Jesus by telling them Scripture. And the only way that that works is because the Spirit of God is involved in this. And so here in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, 5, 6, Paul is calling on the Corinthian church to trust his gospel, to trust what he's doing, even though it, it's not exciting, even though he hasn't been invited to TED or TEDx talks anytime, yet it's still it's still the treasure, it's still the glory of God in Christ by the Spirit through this message for us. It's the only thing that's going to successfully transform our lives from one degree of glory to the next. And not only can we be uh, healed and changed and remade, but we can become like Moses, this glorious personages who absorbs God's glory and then goes out and glows in our worlds. Now that's a wonderful idea. That's a wonderful message. That, that kind of pumps you up. You're like, yeah, our gospel, the Spirit's in it. Let's go. And yet, the running theme, the unifying phrase of our passage this morning is, uh, look at chapter 4, verse 1. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And now look in the middle of our passage in verse 16. Since we do not lose heart... Losing heart is the central theme. Towards the end of our passage, chapter 5, verse 6, so we, here he says it positively, we are always of good courage. We don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. We're always of good courage, he says in 6, as well as verse 8. Yes, we're of good courage. Okay, but, so, Paul, you know, why, if we've got all this stuff going for us, why would we be tempted to lose courage? And we're tempted to lose courage because, and let's be honest, this is what Paul's facing in the Corinthian situation. This is what you face and I face every time we're brought to a moment where we can give the gospel to somebody, whether that's with our kids, with our spouse, with coworkers, with family and friends, people that you might otherwise feel extremely comfortable saying very awkward and, and uh, dangerous things to. When it comes to bringing up the name of Jesus and the love of God revealed in him, there's a something happening. Gospel ministry, which is sort of, I know it's like a churchy phrase, but it's just the stuff we do to extend the knowledge of Jesus, whether, again, to our kids, spouses, friends, family, strangers, all of that work is like going uphill both directions. Right? You guys remember when you were kids and you had to go uphill to school and you had to go uphill back home as well? That, that, I thought this, we'd have a shared experience here. This, this is something exactly like gospel ministry. You're going uphill to school. You've got to go uphill to get back home again. I don't know how that works, but it does seem to happen. Imagine that you're at the Grand Canyon. Right? So we, we talked about this last week. This, this amazing, glorious, uh, just inviting thing. Right? The Grand Canyon is saying, come on in. Come on in. I want to show you something. There's gold in the, these here canyons and caves. Come on in and see my glories. Now imagine that, right, they, they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. Right on the edge of the Grand Canyon, they put up the, the most sophisticated IMAX 3D, Dolby 10.1 surround sound uh, uh, theater that's just going to be 
just showing constantly all of the greatest movies. And it's right there. So you got the Grand Canyon right here, and you got that right there. And as you strap on your pack, and as you think about this glorious thing and how excited you are to get into it and how, how everybody should get into this, everybody needs to come explore the Grand Canyon with me. As you think about that, you're also, there's also a, but I love that movie. And I could go for a hot dog and some popcorn right about now. Right? There's, a, there's this, mm, do I... Right? They, they, they may even have a, a theater that's showing the Grand Canyon experience. Oh, I, I'd like to... I don't have to do this, and I can still kind of see things that are neat in the Grand Canyon. So you've got that... That's the first uphill. Is that you yourself are reluctant on a very real, substantial level to really push into the treasures of God in Christ. Now imagine... You're going to go into the IMAX 3D Dolby 10.1 surround place and tap people on the shoulder and say, there's real glory out here. Real glory. I know you're weeping right now because the dog died. I know you're cheering right now because the hero won. But it's all fake. It doesn't exist. And that popcorn and hot dog are slowly killing you and your joints are calcifying and you are, being, you are being conformed to this world and you're not being transformed into this glory. It's not happening even though you feel it. So come on. What would they say? They, get, out of, what, get out of here. You're ruining my movie. That's the second uphill. Gospel ministry is two uphills. It's the one in me that wants to stay home and you know listen to Reverend Sheets at Bedside Baptist and then there's the other thing, which is, am I really supposed to tell people who are sitting in Avengers Endgame, uh, you know, with their favorite chocolate treats, to come hike the canyon? This is going uphill both ways. And so it's the same with gospel ministry, right? Because first of all, we're telling people about Jesus. Now, you and I like Jesus, but let's be honest about who Jesus is, right? The first century a uh, Middle Eastern peasant who uh, was killed for crimes against the state and supposedly rose again and is God. It's a tough sell when you hear yourself saying it out loud sometimes, right? And then we're doing it by the Spirit. Oh, there's a Spirit involved? You hear yourself saying this sometimes and you think, I don't know that I'm going to say this out loud that much more. The gospel and the work that the Spirit does in our lives, we get excited about it. It's challenging, though, sometimes to keep in view. And then now let's add to it what Paul says here in chapter 4, verse 7, that one of the most beautiful verses in this extraordinarily densely packed, beautiful passage. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing glory, to show that the power belongs to God and not to us. This glory, this gospel ministry takes place in our sufferings. Maybe it's uphill both ways in the snow is another way of describing the situation. You know, we, I kind of came off last week thinking, why, why would we lose heart, Paul? But now when I think about it, and I think about what Paul's describing in the Corinthian culture and what you and I are facing in our culture, I think, why wouldn't I lose heart? And that's what, that's what this section is about. Why don't we lose heart? And there are three carrots 
that Paul gives us. They all work together. I'm kind of separating them out, but they're kind of all woven together. Three carrots that we get to keep us going. The first of these is we don't lose heart because chapter 4, verse 1. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. This is a, you see the therefore that begins this. He's saying, therefore, since we have this ministry by the mercy of God. So that referring back to things written previously. He's referring to chapter 2, verse 17, if you look up at that. Uh, since we, we're not like peddlers of God's word, we're men of sincerity, we're commissioned by God. So we have this ministry because God commissioned us. Chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. We're not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient. God made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. So we have this calling from God. And this calling, Paul says, is the engine, the, the thing that motivates all that he does in his gospel work. Why he doesn't lose heart, first reason. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 2. At the end of chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He's, he's doing his, what he does, knowing that God is watching. That he's doing it in the sight of God. Chapter 2, verse 5, the end of it. We consider ourselves to be your servants for Jesus' sake. He's doing it for Jesus' sake. Chapter 4, verse 15. The end of chapter 4, verse 15. We're hoping that more and more people will increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And then lastly, chapter 5, verse 9. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please God. We have this ministry by the mercy of God so we don't lose heart. And so we go on and we make it our aim to please God. Now, every single one of the things that we're going to look at has a, a specific application to Paul. It's unique to Paul, really, in one sense, because he's talking about himself. He's trying to commend himself to the Corinthians so that they push the eject button on the false teachers and they receive Paul as their leader and they join with him in helping this gospel ministry. 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul's saying, I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul uniquely and personally felt called by God, right? He was grabbed on that Damascus road and God had mercy on him. He was going to Damascus, why? To, to murderize and prisonize Christian peoples. God should have struck him down, but instead he called him and made him his own. So Paul feels this very deeply himself, but this is applicable to all of us. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it, what? All to the glory of God. 1 Peter, not Paul, Peter, 1 Peter 2.9, we have been called out of darkness into God's light so that we can proclaim the excellencies of God. So you and I have this same kind of thing. We're called to live for God. We're called to live in a way that pleases God. We're called to live ever aware of His presence in His sight and for His sake. And so here's our first carrot. We don't lose heart because we live for God. We live for God. Now how does this help us? Well, it gets to the question of who do you want praise from? Right, we are affirmation junkies. 
right? We want people to say, good job. We want people to say, attaboy. We want people to say, you did it right. We want stickers with rockets on them and A plus and smiley faces, right? We want these things on everything we do. But who from? Right, there's some people in your life who give you affirmation and you're like, okay, you don't know me. And there's some people when they give you affirmation, you're like, really? You know me? You know me? And you still say that I'm not that disgusting? <sighs> right, like they know you so well that their slightest praise is wonderful. Jesus says in John chapter 5, talking to the Pharisees. He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? So, if I'm in a sports contest and the other coach is criticizing me and the other coach is yelling at me and saying I'm doing a bad job, I don't care if my coach says, hey, keep it up. Because it's my coach. And so I don't lose heart no matter what the other coach says, no matter what the opposing team's fans say, because my coach says, keep it up. So when we live for God, we don't lose heart because we live for God, we get his praise, and that keeps us going. And that's great news because we are of good courage because God is pleased as we keep going. Listen, you're doing this stuff. Right, with your kids, with your spouse, with your co-workers, with your, with your kinfolk, with, your, with strangers. You're doing it, and God is pleased with those things. So we don't lose heart because we live for God, and God is pleased with us. Now, at each one of these points, each one of these carrots has something else at work, too. There's a danger, a danger that Paul raises that I want to make sure that we see. We don't lose heart, but losing heart is really easy, isn't it? Losing heart, like you've tried to do things before in church and it doesn't take a lot for you to just be like, fine. I'm here to help. Oh, would you pick that up? I'm out. You know, like just, it doesn't take a lot. It's kind of funny, but it's also kind of painful and true. How like almost any sort of setback, any sort of discomfort, any sort of delay to what I want becomes like a theodicy problem. Why, God? Is there a God? It becomes this huge thing. Remember when I was first uh, here as a pastor, I was taking Mondays off. You know, Monday through Fridays off. And, uh, <laughs> and I would take Mondays off. And so we'd be, you know, Sunday's done. We're going to go do something as a family. We're going to go to a restaurant. We're going to go to a store. They're all clo- Every store, every restaurant, every time, every week was closed on Mondays. And we'd show up at these places, you know, and it's like, why have you forsaken me? Don't you know I'm a pastor, God? And I just want that hamburger. Like, it just, it just blows up, right? It's so, you're so fragile. It's so easy to lose heart. And, and that's a funny example, but, oh, I could tell you stories just in the last week that I've encountered with some of my pastor friends and associates that would just break your heart. You would say, hearing that story about them, is there a God? And of course, we know there isn't, and we love Him, and we're serving Him, but some of this stuff gets hard. It's not difficult to lose heart in the service of the Lord in this world. So here's one of the first dangers. If we lose heart because we live for God, we start doing this. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. 
He says, we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, and we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Here's the first danger. We start to tamper with God's word. You notice your, you notice your gospel presentations shrinking. It just, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What about like sin and hell? What? what? No. We start tampering with things. We start cutting things. We start shrinking it. Makes us feel better. I like giving a gospel that's going to make people feel like, yeah. This has become a paradigm in American Christianity. 200 years ago, we, we, we began this great experiment in tampering with God's word. And how can we practice cunning as pastors and as churches to trick people in here? Trick them to come forward. Trick them to say a prayer. Trick them to, you know, become Sunday school teachers. <laughs> Here's the second thing that happens then. Chapter 4, verse 15. Paul says, uh, It's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So when we start tampering with God's word, because we want, because we want approval, right? This is related to this carrot. Because I want to show up on the, on, on the cover of time as America's pastor, right? And I want to be, and we want to be, you know, the top this and this church fastest growing. And we want the accolades and we want, we want people to look at us and say, you know, you're a Christian, but I like you. Oh, I want that. I love that. But as we tamper with God's word, as we're tempted to do this, the grace of God stops spreading, but something else keeps spreading. And this is the first danger. Here's the second carrot. Look at me at chapter uh, 4, verses 2 to 12, but we're just going to focus in on verse 7 and verse 11. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has said has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But well, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And now verse 11, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So here's, what this is. here's the second care. We don't lose heart because the treasure, the treasure, what's the treasure? The treasure is the presence of God. The treasure is the glories of Jesus. The life of Jesus, he says, is manifest. The treasure is manifest. What does that mean? It means that it is experienced by us. So though we're struck down, we're not destroyed. And it becomes known by others. So the treasure, I get to enjoy it. Other people get to see it. How? It is known as power in painful ministry. Power in painful ministry. Look at me in verses 8 and 9. In almost every phrase in this section, you can put the, the, append the phrase in gospel work in serving the gospel to it. We are afflicted in every way in our gospel work, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. 
And through those terrible experiences, the power of God gets known by Paul and seen by others. Now, this was a unique thing for Paul. Again, this has special reference to him. There's a slide for this. And I misplaced all the scripture slides. All right. Here's the unique application for Paul. The Lord said to uh, Annas, who was supposed to go and kind of grab Paul and help disciple him, he said, Go, for Paul is a chosen instrument of mine. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my sake. So Paul had a unique calling to suffer for spreading the gospel. But this is applicable to all of us. Right? We all have this treasure, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, in these jars of clay. We too are afflicted, perplexed. Are you ever perplexed? We too can feel hunted. We too can feel struck down, but we don't have to feel despair, crushing, destruction, or forsaken. We don't have to feel those things. And we too, look at chapter 4, verse 16. Here's another great verse, little jewel hidden away in here. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We too can experience the inner renewal of the Spirit every single day, sustaining us through these difficult seasons. I want you to see, though, that these verses yanked out of context and just put on a a, a poster. That's not, this is the context of suffering in serving the gospel. That's where Paul gets to experience these things. The context for Paul is his specific ministry work. He's out there extending grace and experiencing sufferings. Right? This is not just the, the general uh, frustrations that we all experience with COVID. All of the, the little uh, problems that have arisen. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the sufferings, which in part come specifically because of gospel work, but that's not really touched us yet. Persecutions and things like this. But suffering is just, it's the context for ministry in this life. Sufferings are the context. Life is an affliction, and it gets worse as you join the work of the Spirit to tear down the world's illusions of control and power and hope and security and comfort. Right? As difficult as it is to walk to the front of the, the IMAX theater on the lip of the Grand Canyon and announce the good news of Jesus, imagine how it's going to be received when you pull the plug on the projector. And you say, it's all an illusion. There's no Iron Man. I'm sorry. And you pull that plug. Oh, you shouldn't have done that if you want to have a comfortable and easy life. But if you're serving the treasure, if you're, if you're serving the glory of God, that's what comes. So look at verse 16 again with me. We do not lose heart in serving the gospel. Though our outer self is wasting away because of just the sufferings and afflictions of life on this planet, our inner self is being renewed day by day in the gospel-serving work. All right, so 
We do not lose heart because we live for God and because our sufferings unpack His glories. We are of good courage because His glory is worth it. The knowledge of the glory of God is shining in the face of Jesus Christ and you get to have it right now. And when you get crushed, no, not crushed, uh, when you get afflicted, you won't be crushed. And when you get perplexed, you won't despair. And every day you can be renewed. And verse 17, here's another, this, this is a gem. Did you notice this one as we flew by it? This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I mean, I want you to understand what's going on here. When you make the Lord your shepherd, where does he lead you? To green pastures and still... When, when you live for God, what does God do with you? He brings you to treasure. Right? This treasure is worth it. If God wasn't calling us every time we gather to know the treasure and carry the treasure, he wouldn't be loving us. Because this is the best thing for me and for me to do. For you and for you to do. Because you're God's, he wants you to know this treasure. It is so worth it. Now there's a danger here. Again, a danger. We see the danger here in these verses, chapter, seven, uh, chapter 4, verses 7 to 9. The danger is that if we do lose heart, we're going to go into situations of affliction and being perplexed and being persecuted and being struck down without the power in us at work, without the renewing work of the Spirit in us. We'll just get crushed. And some of us have brushed up against this. We forget about the, the treasure that we carry. We forget about the glory of God in Christ. And so we come into contact with life's difficulties and we just lose heart and we just go and we're gone. And it's, it's hard. That's one of the dangers here. One of the dangers Paul is calling us to hopefully avoid. All right, here's our third and final carrot. Let's pick up in verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Here's the last carrot. We don't lose heart because in the end, we are going to be at home with the Lord. We're going to step into an experience that Paul describes as being swallowed up by life. 
Like you're Jonah, and you think you're alive, and then along comes life and eats you whole. And we're going to step into a world where we are continually tumbled in the surf of an eternal weight of glory. So we don't lose heart because we know what's coming. Now this was a, a unique thing that Paul enjoyed. He says in 2 Timothy, towards the end of his life, he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. He's saying, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm getting. But it's not just for Paul, because he goes on in the next breath and says, and not for me only, but for all who love, who long for the appearing of our Lord Jesus. And that's us. What this is describing, to be clear, is a unique kind of confidence from the knowledge of what's coming. A unique kind of, right, a not losing heart, a good courage. Do you have good courage in your faith? Do you have good courage when you think about sharing your, the glories of Christ with people in your life? And Paul has it. And this is part of why. Now listen, eternal life, John three sixteen awaits everybody who trusts in Jesus. For God so loved the world that it said his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Everybody who believes in Jesus gets that. But this courage, this confidence, Paul says in 5, 5, 5, he's given us the spirit as a guarantee. It's a gift from God for those who are engaged in this kind of work, who are doing it, who are not losing heart and doing it. That's what this confidence and courage is. You see that? The more you get involved in this, the more confidence and courage you get as a result. Which, is that fair? Is it fair for the people who work hard at something and practice something to get better at it and to enjoy it? Like, is it fair for LeBron James and I, even though we started with almost the exactly same physical gifts and advantages in the game of basketball, for him to have progressed to the status that he's at now? For me to never have gotten a look from a professional scout in junior high or high school? Right? No, he works so hard at it. Right? He, of course, he's going to be better at it and enjoy it more. Those who carry the glory in their sufferings, they will, one of the consequences is that they know that glory better. They know it better. And so they're more excited about, the, like when, when I say the eternal weight of glory, and you're like, eh, that's kind of weird. But if you've been carrying this glory through sufferings, and I say the eternal weight of glory, you're like, oh, oh, I can't wait. They're more excited about it, and they believe it more. They just, you just do. You just, you've tried it. You've sat on that chair, right? Go back to the chair illustration we've all seen. You've sat on that chair enough to know it's trustworthy. So we don't lose heart because all that we suffer will be swallowed up by life. All that we suffer along the way will be swallowed up in a moment by all that we find when we arrive. And we are of good courage because there is a relationship between our sufferings for the gospel and our joy in glory. There is a relationship. I don't know the relationship exactly. 
There's a relationship. There's a danger here, of course. Our danger is that we'll start carrying a hip flask. You know what this is, a little hip flask? We'll start carrying a hip flask. There's a danger. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 18. Danger that we're going to look. He says, uh, this eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The danger is the opposite of that, that we are going to stare at the seen and transient things and say, I want that. Psalm 73, what did Asaph say? He said, my faith, my heart was slipping and stumbling because I saw the prosperity of the wicked, and I was just sickened with desire for it. And here's the danger, that as we stare at the transient scene things, we start carrying a hip flask. You heard of these uh, influential leaders? Influential global leaders whose, whose crimes and, and sin is now coming to light? It's like, how many months go by without some other influential global leader of Christianity coming out uh, of all the terrible things that happened? But it's not just those guys, Right? Local church pastors, local church ministry leaders. And I've observed this phenomenon in myself, in people, anybody who takes a step towards saying, I want to carry the treasure. I want to help people meet Jesus. Every single person, very soon thereafter, is tempted with a hip flask. What's the hip flask for? The hip flask is is an image of the little things that we do for comfort. To please ourselves, separate from the Lord. The little things that we do. I remember as a kid, seeing these old cowboy movies, and there would be a preacher in town, and he'd always get a coffin fit, and then, oh, he'd pull out a brown paper bag, and oh, my cough syrup. He'd have his little hip flask. The little things we do to comfort ourselves, separate from the Lord. It's just for me. Just a little thing for me, right? God, I did the thing for you. And a little something for me. I did the thing for you. Here's a little something for me. Oh, it's complicated though. It could be an attitude. Nobody ever sees it. They just feel it. A little attitude. Could be a fantasy. You just start playing with. Some indulgence. Like a hip flask. Some, some little thing that's yours. Some little ritual. It could be something that's initially sinful or initially isn't sinful. It could be something initially sinful. Substance abuse, gossip, sexual sin, stealing. A lot of church leaders fall and are crushed and fade because of these things. But it could be something non-sinful at the beginning. Something like shopping. Something like just watching the news or, or uh, just, let me see, playing games. I don't know what that is. Yeah, foods. stuff. I mean, just little non-sinful things. But you start carrying a hip flask because you're working for God and you're not getting what you want. Little things we do to comfort and please ourselves separate from the Lord. You start carrying the hip flask and pretty soon the hip flask grows. And pretty soon the hip flask starts carrying you. That's another one of the dangers here. Here's the main point. 
we don't lose heart because we carry the treasure. And here's what the treasure is. The treasure is the thing that keeps us alive in a dying world. It renews us day by day. And when heavy things fall on us, we don't get crushed. The treasure is a thing that even when we do come to death, ha, it's gain for us. The treasure is the thing that makes people thank God for us. And the treasure is the thing that gets God praise. Now what better way to go through life than with something that keeps you alive through all this nonsense? And what better way to face death than to face it knowing that on the other side is going to be better for me? And what, better, what else do you want out of life than to leave people who are now thanking God for the grace that they met through you? That's what we want. And to know that God is getting praise because of us. Because we have the grace that makes people glad. We have the grace that makes people glad. So practically, in sufferings, extend grace. Serve the gospel. Welcome the Spirit to work. In your sufferings, extend grace. Act so that people thank God for you and for Jesus. Act in such a way, despite your sufferings, that people thank God for you. And don't stop. Don't lose heart. Put the hip flask down. Pick these carrots up. Because God calls us. The Spirit carries us. And real life and glory in our true home is coming. So we don't lose heart. We are always of good courage. So as we finish this morning, let me just ask, do you have, do you have good courage? Do you need heart this morning? Do you need courage to live for God? What of these dangers do you feel yourself kind of edging toward? That, that tampering, that theological, becoming more theologically sophisticated, getting away from the Word of God? Maybe it's a despair. God's abandoned me. God's not doing the stuff that I thought we had an arrangement that He was going to do. Maybe it's getting a little overly invested in the here and now and the pleasures a little, something for, a little something for you, a little something for God. And how can these carrots help you? Which of these carrots has been sweet for you this morning? To know that you belong to Christ, to know that His glory is worth it, to know that He will be pleased and you will make it home? Let's just have a moment of silence. Think about those things. Do you need heart this morning? And why? And which of these encouragements is helpful. Let's think about that for just a moment and then we'll pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for these good things that are the truest truths for those of us who know our Lord Jesus that we are yours, 
that you have brought us to that which is the true treasure, what is life indeed, salvation and and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and the hope of eternal life and, and all these things and so many more things that come to us even separate from just how glorious you are in the life of Jesus. And with it all, you extend to us the promise of eternal life that is in a a weight of glory beyond comparison. These are wonderful words and great promises. So open our hearts to receive them and bring us back from whatever dangers and and temptations and and the loss of heart that maybe all of us are to some extent struggling with and bring us back to the glory of Christ and the work that the Spirit is doing already in our lives and through us. Bring us back to the goodness and sweetness of the gospel, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.